0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: EJ, the 49ers are back. The Eagles never left. And the Bengals still 3-0 against the Chiefs in their last three meetings. The NFL, as always, the best reality show on planet Earth. And we're going to break it all down today. Jay, roll the open. we go elite cork to start off the show today uh ej my wonderful co-host i have Balcona's lineage texas single malt for the show today uh we picked this up in texas while we were there actually yeah at
0: at 10 a.m as the liquor store opened so they we, were open we got, just saying. we got we got those looks we were the first ones we we're the guys outside doing the old mervyn's commercial right open open open
1: uh we have some very interesting news to start off the show with news and notes as we normally do, John Robinson at 9 a.m. on a Tuesday fired kind of out of nowhere, not going to lie. Like, we are in week 13. You know, the Titans are on pace to again win the AFC South somewhat handily. Uh, This is a team that went to the AFC championship game three years ago. They were the one seed in the AFC literally last year. They have not had a losing season under John Robinson. They're about to win the division for like the fourth straight year and they fired him and nobody really knows why yet. I mean, people have their theories. Obviously there have been mistakes made in terms of the management of the roster offensive line, kind of a mess. The things they've done to try to address the offensive line, like uh, drafting Isaiah Wilson, didn't work out super well. Uh, the Tannehill contract continues to kind of be an a, 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 a anchor, so to speak, tied around their feet. There are problems on the roster, but that being said, they still win a lot of games, and they're still a pretty good team. And last time I checked, this team had Kansas City on the ropes with a backup quarterback like a month ago. So I guess we can attribute a lot of that to Vrabel being an elite coach, which he is, but there's still a lot of good players on this roster. The defensive line is good. There's some secondary pieces we love. Some of their young weapons, like Traylon Barks coming along, Chig looks really fun. They've got dudes. They've, they've got dudes. And, and they fired John Robinson. And I'm, I'm a little bit surprised because they literally just extended him in February and now he's gone so i like maybe there's a story we haven't heard yet again we are recording this like an hour and a half after the news came out but i'm pretty shocked by it ej what say you there's something else here
0: uh people say oh it's been brewing for a long time i fully understand that i understand that you know the titan's brass the ownership decides that hey we're not happy with the direction that's what you do the day after the season ends You do not do it in week 13. The timing is highly unusual for those of you that don't follow these kind of things. I can't think of the last in-season GM firing, and if there was one, they certainly weren't in first place in their division and the previous year's one seed in their conference. In-season for a good team. Yeah, that's the distinction. this, This is weird. It's just really odd, and I know the look is not good. They just played A.J. Brown the receiver that they traded away and got smoked by him. That's perception, that's emotion, that is not the way you make these decisions on a successful football team, and the Titans are, make no mistake, a very successful football team. They tend to do these things in the right way. It is not a knee-jerk type of decision. Yes, you can look at the overall resume, and you can say, if we're talking about misses, and again, all GMs miss, Drafted Isaiah Wilson, 29th overall. Drafted Darrington Evans, 93rd overall. Drafted Caleb Farley, 22nd overall. Dylan Raddins, 53rd overall. Traded away a second and a fourth for a washed up Julio. Traded A.J. Brown away. Signed Bud Dupree to a huge contract. I get all of that, but the weirdest thing is the thing you said last. All of that happened before they signed him to an extension.
1: Yeah. So if they were okay with it back then, and they're still going to make the playoffs this year, what changed? Because for every bad move that he's made, he also drafted Jeffrey Simmons. You know, he picked up Danico Autry for a steal. And he was, you know, before he got hurt, he was like top five in pressures in the entire league um you know Harold Landry was a pick of his Trelon's coming along he was looking pretty good um you know last time I checked and and we'll see what he becomes but Chig looks like it's going to be a good piece for the future Kyle Phillips at least again before he got hurt again was looking like a really good value pick on day three for them there's a lot of good players on this team like Christian Fulton that was a John Robinson pick like even going back to his time in New England cuz remember well he came from Tampa but before Tampa he was in New England he was their director of college scouting for a four-year period in just that four-year period this is the the core of an entire second half of the Patriots dynasty that he was overseeing in that time period, from 2009 to 2013, they drafted Gronk, they drafted Edelman, Chung, McCourty, Sebastian Vollmer, Darius Butler, Cannon, Solder, Dont'a Hightower, Chandler Jones, Ron Harmon, Logan Ryan, Jamie Collins. All of those were his picks in a four-year period. Like this dude can—he can pick players, and I get it. He had a couple rough years in the draft, but this year's class looked really good and they were still managing, they were still surviving. I just, I feel like he built up a lot of goodwill that that ran out a lot quicker than maybe it should have. And there's a lot worse GMs that got a lot longer leashes. And I don't know, it's there's, there's, there has to be something else there. I, I refuse to believe it's just because of the offensive line and the Tannehill contract, like it can't just be that simple, right? Just tell everybody
0: that you're really pissed because this is the guy that believed in Stonehouse and picked him up and now he's gone and you're just you're just butthurt about it. You're I angry. mean he was right. He was absolutely <laughs> right. We're making punter jokes because we just don't understand this move. We don't understand the timing. We don't understand the timing relative to uh, giving your GM a, a nod of approval, a contract extension. And the fact that, again, the roster is loaded. We didn't even talk about Nicholas petit Frere, who's starting for them at right tackle right now. Um, all, all of these young players are developing. They are winning. They're in first place there is something going on here. There is something that happened or was said uh, or some kind of, you know, they call it creative differences when a band breaks up, right? There are some creative differences that are going to come to the surface here. Or maybe not. Sometimes we don't get to hear about these things. But it is more than just his player personnel record and the overall result on the franchise. Because again, as you said, lots of these young guys are contributing right now already. They're starting to look good. And the team's winning. This is not the time you make this kind of move unless there's something else.
1: I guarantee you his agent has already gotten no fewer than 10 calls. 100%. Because his reputation is sterling in the league as a person and as a talent evaluator. He's going to have a job immediately. Like, I'm not worried about him, to be perfectly honest. I, it sucks that his family's going to have to move. Uh, but he's going to have a job because everybody knows that John Robinson's really good at what he does. So... Maybe we'll hear about a true why at some point, but for now, eh, I don't know. I don't know.
0: It's just really odd news to start a Tuesday with. I saw the news news. about an hour before we started doing pre-show, and I was like, no, fake account, baloney, nobody does that. Oops.
1: Yeah. Uh, All right. Well, with that being said, now that news – and that's the only real news we have so far, to be honest. But now that news and notes is done, uh, why don't we go back and and eat a little bit of crow, EJ? Mm -hmm. Because we sat here on this channel on Thursday night during our, our TNF live stream, and it was Bills-Patriots, and you know, we, we thought the Bills were going to win, but we also apparently were way more confident uh, in the Patriots offense to be even remotely watchable than they actually were, and that kind of bit us in the ass, and, and we really flopped on our prize pick slip for that game. We're going to talk about the play, uh, the play calling specifically for the Patriots coming up here. But I think my main takeaway from watching TNF, and I've watched that game three times now since to try to understand both the Buffalo side and the New England side. Patriots are in a bad spot, like a really bad spot. And not just play calling wise, like personnel wise. They cannot compete at, at the at the highest levels of this league. They are not even close. They need a guy like John Robinson to come back to find them some players because like the gap is way wider than I thought it was back in August. Like I thought they might have been okay. They are not okay. They are in a horrible position personnel wise right now. 100% agree with all that
0: and yes a guy like John Robinson strangely with his heritage uh, in terms of having been in the Pats front office before would be a good choice but we need to talk about the elephant in the room here you me bet on a kicker okay hold on if he didn't miss i would have hit on that hold on (laughs) you bet on a kicker and then you jinxed said kicker right before that kick like this is the double nut shot you basically kicked yourself in the nuts twice you bet on a kicker never do it. it's a bad idea And then you said, geez, don't screw this up for me right before he went back for the leg swing. And sure enough, what happens? He's been good
1: this year. What can I I say?
0: Until you jinx him on our Thursday night live stream broadcast. Anyways, bad slip. We ate it. We were playing with house money from Thanksgiving. We are going to do what NFL teams do and burn the film and (laughs) just say, nope, not a lot to be learned from that slip, except don't bet on a kicker. And the fact, the deeper one, the takeaway that we'll talk about a little bit later on in more depth, the Patriots are beyond struggling right now. They are ill-equipped to win, uh, certainly win their division, which is where you start. And they did that for so many years, decades, if you want, that everybody's used to it. This ain't that team. This is not your dad's Patriots. This is not your, well, your grandpa's Patriots were probably still pretty good because Tom Brady played a long time. Your great-grandpa's Patriots weren't good. This team looks more like those teams. And New England fans have had such a run of success that they're very unfamiliar with that look. They're going to have to get familiar unless the Patriots can string together a couple of drafts like the Seahawks just had or the Texans had or the Jets had where they have a good haul of five to six young players that come in and really make a difference quickly save that this is going to be a couple years of digging out of the hole
1: the the one thing that I do want to bring up about this game that's non-New England is um, because we're not going to talk about Buffalo for the rest of the episode because we talked about them a lot but I do want to note from this game before we leave it uh the bills are running the ball like a lot and over the last three games they are top 10 in the nfl they are 10th in the nfl which by their standards is incredible for percentage of plays called being runs that is unthinkable for for what the bills were in the first couple months of the season i think that Allen's injury kind of lit a fire under them of like, Hey, maybe we shouldn't Cam Newton, this guy that we sunk a gazillion dollars into. Maybe we should let Devin Singletary carry more of the load. Maybe we should give more carries to cook, you know, all that kind of stuff, because he's still going to get his rushing attempts. Like he hit one of the only things we actually hit was the over of seven and a half rushing attempts. Cause he will scramble every now and then. So he still had eight carries, but he didn't lead them in carries. He didn't, you know he he wasn't the entire ground game in addition to being the entire pass game like they've actually run the ball and committed to running the ball a lot over the last 3 weeks by their standards and that's a massive development cuz they're a more balanced team now and i think that even though you know maybe the point totals won't be the same maybe the flash plays won't be the same i think they're a better team when they run the ball and they limit Allen having to do everything, not that he can't do everything, but making it so he doesn't have to do everything has completely changed the outlook of this team. It's gotten them through a rough period where they're still trying to get guys back healthy because they've had a lot of durability issues this year and they've gotten through this stretch by running the ball. And that to me is one of the biggest stories of Buffalo's season is that they're finally not making their quarterback shoulder the entire offense by himself this is what we led the thursday live stream with if there was a
0: better promo for our thursday live streams i don't think it exists we led the thursday live stream with the idea that since josh allen hurt his elbow the bills have been forced against their best judgment or maybe their their better wishes to be more balanced they have to be because josh cannot do the things that they were asking him to do before and we posited that that result would be better because it would bring more of the team into play and bring more of them into contributing to those wins instead of just saying, hey, Josh, go be a superhero. That's our that's our plan. Josh, go be a superhero as opposed to, hey, we have all this talent. We need to diversify. We need to stress more areas of the defense by using more of these players. They've done it successfully. It's carried them through. They've figured out ways to win and they look like a better and more balanced team for the stretch run. And that is indeed huge.
1: So uh, we're going to get back to it this Thursday. We have uh, Raiders Rams out here in Southern California. I'm sure that stadium is going to be just packed with Raiders fans. Um, so that's going to be our Thursday game this week. Make sure to stop by for live stream. We're going to put together another slip. And we're going to put together Sunday slips too, because prize picks for all the bootleg faithful. They're offering uh, a free square. For all of you, because you guys really like that on Thanksgiving weekend, the Justin Jefferson Square paid off for a lot of you. They're offering another free square this Sunday uh, for Justin Herbert over one half passing yard. So as long as he gets one passing yard, which probably will assuming a comet doesn't hit the stadium uh you get a free square so that just gives you one step closer to uh you know hitting on these 25x payouts or 20x payouts depending on how many you put in uh huge huge deal from them so we thank prize picks for uh, you know making that available for all the bootleg listeners if you want to go to prizepicks.com or really the link at the link in the description below uh use promo code bootleg that will uh, match your deposit up to a hundred dollars whatever you happen to put in they will double it so that you get more money to play with. Uh, Again, Justin Herbert, free square this Sunday. Make use of it while you can. Uh, And with that, EJ, let's get to three up. Three up, number one, EJ, Bengals Chiefs. You know, we have to lead off this segment with this. Uh, This is perhaps the rivalry in the AFC at this point. Uh, this is the Chiefs' boogeyman, and the Chiefs are widely considered, well, maybe before this week, were widely considered <laughs> to be the best team in the AFC. Now, I would say Cincy is throwing their hat in the ring uh, to make a run at the one seed here and, you know, maybe have the playoffs run through Ohio this year. And uh, I would say that this is kind of the clash of the Titans right now in the conference. It's, it's the one team that KC just cannot get over. And there's a couple different reasons for that. And I, I kind of felt like this game was was similar to the last two, um, but with slightly different flavor. But the top-level point is Casey's DBs, which they have a lot of young guys we love. It's a very young secondary, but it's very talented. But their DBs at this point are not equipped to handle Jamar Chase, T Higgins, even Samache was running over him. Hurst had his catches. Tyler Boyd almost had a bigger game but dropped an easy touchdown. But, like, the the entire collection of skill position players here, they are not ready to handle them yet. You look at the last throw on third and 11 to ice the game, like a gotta-have-it situation. We cannot give the ball back to Pat Mahomes because that would be potentially disastrous. Let's throw a slant to T. Higgins, one-on-one against Josh Williams. Really talented, tall, lanky corner with range. He was right in his hip pocket. He was right there. The coverage was not bad at all. But Burrow, under pressure, guy in his face, dropped it right there for him. Like, I'm talking three inches outside of Williams' hands. And T. caught it, iced the game right then and there. You know, Jamar had eight catches for a whole bunch of yards. Like, Trent McDuffie held up well, but everybody else got torched to be perfectly honest um and i think that this team because this is a bengals offense that can go blow for blow with pat mahomes when they really need to in clutch moments they are kind of like the casey achilles heel because they just won't die and they're very similar to the chiefs in the sense that they just won't die and when casey goes up against another team with their own serial killer at quarterback Some of the other deficiencies on the roster get laid bare a little bit, and they're prone to lose.
0: We've framed the Bengals for these last three games as kind of plucky, as upstarts, as challengers to the throne. This game feels like that's shifted a little bit. They're 3-0 and versus the Chiefs in their last three. And you said something interesting with Burrow under pressure. I don't think Burrow feels pressure. I really don't. He hasn't since LSU. We've said this since his pre-draft analysis. This guy is an assassin. Rich Eisen did a whole thing on this, but it, it just hit on lots of the high notes that we have said about Joe Burrow. And Eisen said something interesting. He said that, Burrow looked like he was pretending before to be that cool guy, to be the guy in control, and now he sounds like he's been in the league 20 years. Mm-hmm. He fully expects to be that guy. He is that guy. He makes those throws, all those throws. The coverage wasn't bad. The DBs did okay. If we really want to talk about where Casey fell off, their linebacker play was atrocious. But the Bengals didn't look like upstarts in this game. The Bengals look like they knew they were supposed to win this game, and Burrow is the reason. Like, Burrow is the key. You can say about Jamar Chase unlocking Burrow's potential, but Burrow is the guy time after time. All those throws to Higgins, Samaj's picking it up, and we have to talk about, speaking of eating crow, maybe that's a the theme of this episode, we need to talk about the Bengals' offensive line. Mm -hmm. The Bengals offensive line much maligned mostly by us Uh, and it has gotten slightly better but the amount of pressure true pressure that they allowed in this game to get to Burrow was staggeringly low the pass rush from Casey is pretty good Steve Spagnuolo knows what the hell he's doing Chris Jones is a really good player Burrow didn't get the kind of pressure that you would expect if you believe that the Bengals O-line has not progressed the Bengals O-line has progressed and it's a little bit stunning to see them play that well against a really quality coach and talented defensive line unit fun fact bengal's offensive line has four holding penalties this year
1: like total total really huh yeah that's almost like unbelievable yeah, <laughs> across five kind of guys for 13 weeks. Yeah. Terribly unbelievable. But the thing that it
0: was like the unspoken thing, it was the thing that was missing that I was like, what's missing here? And I was like, oh, yeah, Joe Burrow absolutely running for his life on a majority of downs. I'm so conditioned and used to seeing that. And instead, you saw pretty good pockets. You saw pretty good stunt pass offs and pickups. You saw obviously powerful run blocking for Samaje, who's really over the last three games since Mixon's injury sort of rounded into form as what looks like you know you can call him a 1A it's really funny this is an offense full of 1A's right T Higgins <laughs> is a 1A to Jamar Chase and Samaje Piran has turned into a 1A to Joe Mixon which might be even more surprising the Bengals have the firepower and look like they expected to win this game and not many teams do that against Mahomes in Kansas City with good reason Right. Mahomes has been the nail in everybody's coffin in the AFC for a long time. Burrow and company now, because this is really the offensive line and P. Ryan and all those weapons and the defense playing well against a very good Kansas City offense. They looked like, no, this is ours. We, we've owned you the last two. We're going to own you again today and you're going to come through us not the other way around and they own tiebreakers against most of the afc it is not inconceivable that at the end of this thing since he could be on top and casey could be looking up and if that's the case it'll be a little bit less surprising after this game because
1: that's the way this game looked on the field you mentioned the the handing off stunts, improving. Like, we saw at the Spangles offensive line, we were 50 feet away from them when we were in Dallas week two. They couldn't handle stunts. They couldn't They'd handle— like They did not were, have it together. They, they were <laughs> gelling. Again, all these guys had only been playing games together for— uh, I mean, I can't remember how much they played in the preseason, but, I mean, max like six weeks at that point, you know? And so they were all kind of figuring each other out, figuring out each other's tendencies, what they like, what they don't like, how they like to handle stuff, how they like to pass stuff off. And, you know, going up against a front like the Cowboys, who just loop all over the damn place all the time because they can, they struggled a lot, a lot, a lot. (laughs) And Dallas just played cover two behind it and said, go hunt, Micah, and boy, he hunted. Um, Bengals have gotten a lot better in terms of picking up stunts. The tackles have, in terms of handling, like, just one-on-ones outside, the tackles have gotten better. Contrast that to Kansas City, the top two tackles, and this is a bad stat, the top two tackles in the league in terms of pressures allowed are the Chiefs' two starting tackles, Orlando Brown and Andrew Wiley. Orlando Brown's given up 39 pressures. Wiley's given up 37. That's horrible. And it, it, it's it's not just a, a you know oh there was a couple rough stretches like no it's been pretty consistent the entire year that when they go up against a competent edge rushing tandem. They get shredded. They get completely shredded. And the interior has held up okay. Um, Certainly hasn't been their best year, but they've been solid. The tackles are just getting roasted. And I think that's part of the reason why, I can't remember if I mentioned it last show or not, how Mahomes has kind of like stopped doing that 11-yard drop and he's more sticking to like 7 to 9 yards. He's doing that because he knows that he's going to have to step up almost invariably because his tackles cannot handle edge speed at all. And so it's almost forced him to be better in the pocket than he used to be because you don't got Mitch Schwartz out there anymore. You can't get away with that shit. So he's had to become better in the pocket because of the, the lack of good tackle play they have. So this is just a tough matchup for K, uh, for KC. You know, they, they don't have the DBs yet to handle these guys one-on-one like they could in the future but they're all so young they're just young they're inexperienced and this is arguably the best core of weapons in the league they're not quite ready to handle them man-on-man yet uh, which if you're going to play against the Bengals you got to be able to hold up in man they can't do that they can't protect against the defensive line and when all else fails Joe Burrow is going to sit there and he's going to rip your heart out even if you have a good call so it, it is literally they're They're boogeyman. It's their nightmare matchup. And if they play against each other in the playoffs, especially if it's in Cincy, I don't feel great about it for Kansas City. Not going to lie. Like if they had to replay again tomorrow, I wouldn't feel great about it. And, uh, you know, if there was ever a team that I think could could go to back to back Super Bowls in the AFC, uh, it's probably them.
0: With Burrow at quarterback, I wouldn't put that past them. It does not seem at all far-fetched. Last year, them getting to the Super Bowl was like,
1: yeah, maybe if everything
0: goes right. But they have a lot of flaws, and usually flawed teams don't make it that far. Their flaws get exposed before that happens. They strung it together and then almost won the damn thing. And mm-hmm. again, Burrow seemed unsurprised by that. All the rest of us were really surprised by that. No matter how much we liked him and believed in his abilities, it was still like, yeah, but it is a team sport. You drag them by yourself and then almost drag them over the finish line. This team is very, very different than that team. They're better. The offensive line, much better. Yeah. Offensive line playing better. I fully believed that Hayden Hurst was going to be an upgrade over CJ Uzama. And people said, you're nuts. Yuzama had a good year. I said, Hayden Hurst is a better player. I think he's going to mesh really well with Joe Burrow. That's come to pass. T. Higgins has continued to develop, and he was already really good. Jamar was that guy. Mixon was good. They have found other ways to get him involved, and when he's come down, Samaje Pirine has stepped up in a huge way. The defense is still playing well. The pass rush is a little bit better. They're getting, you know, Hubbard had a sack in this game. It, this is a better and more well-rounded team, and that should just shake all the rest of the contenders in the AFC like to their cores because Burrow is Burrow, and if you surround him with a better shield,
1: ooh, it's a tough, tough out. I still think they have a game coming up against Buffalo, if I recall correctly, uh, in like a couple weeks. So that's, you know, if they're, they're big game hunters, man. They're just going around collecting pelts, and they got one left to get in order to kind of secure that one seed. We'll see if they get it. So excited for that matchup. Uh, Let's get to three up number two, which is a game that a lot of people were begging to get flexed to Sunday night. Uh, And it was not because of course we have to watch the Cowboys slaughter another (laughs) bad team in primetime. gets ratings, but 49ers dolphins, that was the game we all wanted to see. And uh, it was definitely not what people expected. I would say, um, I think that if you, if you said, oh, the Dolphins' offense is going to struggle against arguably the best defense in the entire league and they were going to make some really good plays up front, like, yeah, that, that would be an acceptable take. If you thought 49ers' defense, outside of a couple long plays on coverage, busts, and missed tackles, were going to completely dominate the game almost from start to finish, that would have been a little bit crazier of a take. But that's what happened. Again, outside of a couple long throws, even on the first play of the game, Shurfield got like a 75-yard or something like that. Outside of that, Miami did nothing. Like, they they couldn't move the ball. The defensive line from the 49ers was all over Tua. They hit him early. They hit him often. They were just blasting a very good Dolphins offensive line. Um, The DBs were hitting. The linebacker – I mean, Fred Warner was all over the place doing normal Fred Warner things it was a clinic in how a fast defense can negate a fast offense. Like if you build your defense for speed, you can handle Miami, even though they have a whole bunch of speed because all of a sudden that kind of advantage that Miami's always had in space was erased because the 49ers can move too. And so, you know, I thought, again, I thought Miami was going to struggle a little bit. I didn't think they were going to get completely fucking obliterated, but they were. Um, and then you factor in the other side, that the thing that we didn't expect. Well, some people maybe expected it. Jimmy G getting hurt again. Unfortunately, tail as old as time at this point. Um, but what I didn't expect was Brock Purdy to come in and maybe be better. Like, I don't know, EJ. I went through that film last night and I was like, oh, 49ers might have something here. I really don't think that this is going to affect them like people expect. Brock Purdy went out there and he executed the offense just as good, if not better, than Jimmy. There was a throw uh, late in the second quarter, third and ten. Miami's like, let's throw zero at him. See what Mr. Irrelevant as a rookie can do against zero. And he stood in there, took a massive hit, dropped a shot over the middle to Kittle, You know, knowing where the pressure was coming from because it was away from the slide. Knew it was coming, knew he had to hit the throw, and he hit the damn throw, EJ, and, and moved the chains, and they went down and scored and never gave the lead back. The offense was fine with Purdy. I still think it's going to be fine with Purdy. He looks night and day different than when we saw him in January. It is remarkable. And quite frankly, I do not think that the 49ers lost momentum at all. The defense, again, incredible. The offense, still good with Purdy. Yeah, 49ers, NFC contenders, nothing changes for me. My opinion has not moved an inch. I'm going to start with Purdy. And after this game, I have a
0: theory that Brock Purdy went on vacation somewhere in January and sent somebody else to the Shrine Bowl.
1: It's so different. It's way different.
0: (laughs) All I could say as I watched this tape a couple days ago, where was this guy in January? This isn't the same guy at all. Like... The transformation from what we saw at the Shrine Bowl, which was, eh, okay, okay, like, maybe practice squad. Mm -hmm. Maybe clipboard holder down the road. Maybe his top ceiling, Chase Daniel, maybe. Yeah. You know, lifetime backup that makes a bunch of money would have been his ceiling in the pros. And I know All-Star games are rough. Coming in, you got all new players, all new playbooks. It's a, it's an environment you're not used to. It's the first time. Like, I get all that. It, it, you still see guys make throws and shell drills. You still see guys in practice look sharp and understand and have command. And he heated up under the lights a little bit. He had some gamer in him. But that was it. That mm-hmm. was all that was there. What you saw on Sunday against a very good defense coming in, again, with very few reps with the starters, you saw it a little bit in the preseason. He heated up in the preseason, and again, he hit one of these sort of hot heaters in the preseason where it was like, whoa, okay, like, he took to some coaching. That's cool. Whatever it was, don't know what it was, but that looks a lot better than what we saw. But again, it's preseason. That's different. That is not a loaded and fast Miami team Coming into your house, you coming in without the reps because Jimmy G was healthy and took all the reps at the starters. And as you said, not only continuing him, but making big time throws under heavy pressure and popping up like, yeah, I fully expect to do this on time, on target, new everything. Whole different player. Like, it is not the same guy to the point where I'm like, who did you send to the Shrine Bowl? Because it wasn't you. (laughs) Like, that's not the same guy. It is remarkable. And this offense in general is attacking people. I'm talking about the 49ers offense now. We've been saying that about the Dolphins offense all year, but this was the shoe on the other foot. This 49ers offense attacks people everywhere. We all know about Debo and the fact that, uh, you know, I think Chris Long said, Debo Samuel weighs 350 pounds and you can't convince me otherwise. Because <laughs> he's just made out of iron. You can't knock him over. We all knew that. We all knew that Ayuka was a gamer and, and had big game ability. We all know about Kittle. That's fine. Use check with Purdy at the at the trigger man was a whole different guy it was like that's how you use that guy because he's a super weapon at fullback but christian mccaffrey the big trade leading rusher in this game not very efficient at 3.9 17 for 66 but also the leading receiver that's christian mccaffrey in a nutshell he had 17 carries um eight receptions for 80 yards 10 and a td in terms of the receiving like that's the way that Kyle was envisioning CMC being used, but it's not just him. It's Kittle and Debo and Ayuk and then use check on top of that. And Purdy looking like he's com- Purdy looking like Tua, which is ridiculous because we mm-hmm. just called out Tua like a week or two ago as playing at one of the highest levels in the NFL this year. The fact that a backup comes in and looks like that, you know, right off the go cold. No, like that. It, it's one of the most remarkable stories in the NFL the Geno story I say is more remarkable because he's been doing more for longer but this Purdy I don't even want to call it a resurgence ascendance, (laughs) imposter syndrome whatever it is he looked every bit like he wanted to put the boot on the neck of the Dolphins and did and the 49ers we all knew about the defense Jimmy Ward's Superman interception in this one was just guys flying around playing fast we've seen that all year You weld these two things together, and what looked like a sort of shaky team two or three weeks ago before the Mexico City game does not look like a shaky team at all right now. They look like they are a power in the NFC, and that is not the way they've been. This was a we're here and we're going to be really tough in December game, and that's the story.
1: If they host a playoff game, which they are – they're nipping at the heels. They very well could. You know, Seattle and them are kind of locked in in that duel for for division lead. If they host a playoff game, like they're, I, I'm trying. I'm trying to say this diplomatically. Getting them to the divisional round, where they're matching up with Dallas, where they're matching up with Minnesota. You know, they're matching up with Tampa. I'm kind of just putting them in the NFC championship game right there. Cause I think all of those teams, they would fucking eat alive. I really do. Like the, the only one that I think that can really go toe to toe with them right now with how they're playing is Philly. Other than that, God, I, I don't see any other roadblocks in their future. Like, I think they have one more game against Seattle, if I recall correctly. I think they do, which is also a a big test because Geno's playing out of his mind, and they got DK, and they got Lockett, and they got a whole bunch of good players. But, man, other than that, like, if you're putting them up against Dallas in the divisional round, sorry. Like, I like what Dallas is doing this year. 49ers are better right now. You put them up against Minnesota, sorry, 49ers are better right now. You put them up against Tampa, that's not even fucking close, which I actually think they're playing this week. I don't know what the spread is, but it's probably not very generous to Tampa. These two teams are not in the same universe right now. So, yeah, San Francisco's coming, man. They're coming. They're a really, really good, deep, well-coached team. I, they're it, man. They're it. Mark mark it down, and they should wear those unis for
0: the rest of the year. Oh, they were fantastic. They, they wore the Montana throwbacks, Montana young throwbacks, depending who your quarterback allegiance is to, like – those are elite and they played like it at home and they're going to continue to play like that i'm i'm with you on every matchup you name like we we called the vikings sort of paper tigers they are ripe for a knockout if they play a team like the 49ers the bucks are really struggling they do not look like they're going the other way they do not have all their stuff together cowboys uh, could be one of those sort of upset games but i would definitely
1: favor the niners in that game cowboys would win if micah does something crazy which is very possible because it's micah but boy it would take a lot
0: yeah It it just feels like right now if we had to do it right now and we don't we got a lot of games left and there will be some twists and turns there will be some spoilers whatever else but if we had to do it right now after sunday's games it's like take philly take san francisco put them in a game Winner goes to the Super Bowl. That's we'll just we'll just skip the rest. We don't want to skip the rest cuz there's good storylines, but like in reality after Sunday's games, it's skip the rest. We need to see Philly versus San Francisco and that'll determine who's coming out of the NFC.
1: Their schedule for the last 5 weeks, hosting Tampa, at Seattle, hosting Washington, at Raiders, hosting Cardinals. Oh, wow. It, Raiders it, and Cardinals it, is like that's a, they have a legit shot of of just running the table here and making a run they really do um all right now speaking of the eagles by the way three up number three we have to talk about that threshing machine over in philly they are winning in every single which way you can imagine right now you know sometimes the passing game doesn't have to do a whole lot because the running game takes over including with Hertz's feet sometimes the running game doesn't do a whole lot and aj brown takes over and this was the aj brown game he is by far, one of the most physically dominant players at any position in the NFL. And watching him in this game, he almost kind of lulls you into a false sense of security because he's running speed out, speed out, curl, hitch, you know, glance route, all this underneath stuff. And all of a sudden, he hits you with a double move where he's, he's faking like he's running a speed out, and then he'll, he'll wheel up and just run the fuck over that DB, literally, literally. Put him on the ground face first and get like a 45-yard touchdown. He looks like a linebacker playing receiver. He's built like a linebacker. He's like 225, 230. He is just incredible and so physical and so strong and so tough, so good with the ball in the air. Had another contested catch later in the game. He is just insane. And when you have that kind of weapon on the boundary that even if the ball's not perfect, he can still make you right and he can still bail you out and have a big play, that completely changes the football game. Because sometimes things don't work super well for this Philly offense, especially with some of the injuries they've had. Sometimes the run game doesn't work. Sometimes, you know, the defense is really playing against RPOs super well, and they're getting into the throwing lanes, and they're forcing Hurts to hold it, and then he has to run around. He's taking sacks. Sometimes defenses have a really good plan. But when you have a talent like AJ, and you have a talent like Devonta outside, plans can go out the window real quick If their dudes are better than your dudes. And that's why I would take Philly over pretty much any team in the NFC. Other than maybe San Francisco, because San Francisco also has really good dudes that can match up one for one against them. But other than that, oh God, Philly's personnel is just overwhelming. Like physically overwhelming. Typically talent levels in the NFL are closer than
0: this and we just sang the titans praises last week we said they are a really good and solid football team and guess what folks they are a really good and solid football team and philly embarrassed them they made them look like a college team on defense the double move where he ran over the db they had these guys in a blender when i say they it was aj brown and devonta smith mostly they had them completely flummoxed, turning the wrong way, falling over their feet, getting flat-out run over because they so badly misjudged double move that they literally couldn't get their hips out of the way of A.J. Brown, and he just said, coming through. Like, (laughs) this is a really good team in Tennessee, and Philly is so much better right now that they just flat-out took them any way they wanted to multiple times and it was because of this roster that you referenced so Howie has constructed a great and that's great in capital letters roster and Sirianni and company are pushing all the right buttons those two things happen independently sometimes but when they happen together you get a team that is like Philly right now they have dudes on dudes and the coaching staff understand that and they're using them all well they're not leaning on one side or the other too much on offense, what do you do against Brown and Devonta Smith? We've talked about this. You can cover one, you're not going to cover the other, and then Goddard's open. And you add in a wrinkle of Hertz runs and then the short passing game to Gainwell, which was the, you know, offensive weapon du jour this week was oh you're gonna like cover and gainwell's gonna float into that little six eight yard area Mm -hmm. and Devontae and aj are pulling everybody out okay we'll throw it to him and he's gonna pick up 11 more after the catch they did it multiple times oh you're gonna cover him and that guy he's gonna run left and hurts is gonna run right and there's literally nobody left because you gotta cover goddard and brown and smith and if you go with gainwell hurts is open if you stay on hurts gainwell's open there's just nothing to do they put Tennessee in a complete blender they had no idea what to do on defense and it showed on defense Philly has very good outside corners always a good way to start with defense Slay and Bradbury both guys that were added by Howie and a dominant defensive line that has players everywhere and they just battered Tannehill six sacks from five different players on the day all of them are on the defensive line no corner blitzes, no safety blitzes, no linebackers coming through on coffee house. Mm-mm. All the sacks came from the defensive line. This is a team that can legitimately rush with four. No blitz help, which, again, frees up those corners to have an extra guy in coverage and still get sacks. Their second string defensive line, this speaks to how he's depth and the fact that he is relentless and he will just continue to add guys. Their second string defensive line would start on many NFL teams not most but many we're talking about Brandon Graham who had a sack in this game Sue Jordan Davis who they drafted this year out of Georgia and then Milton Williams who is a highly set after draft pick and still has a lot of contribution that defensive line of four I would take that defensive line of four for the Bears and start them right now right and I would make the current Bears starting defensive line the second string to that line and you're they not wrong be, they <laughs> yeah. would be better at almost every position straight up And probably every position. And the Bears aren't the only team. Like there are multiple teams where the second string defensive line from Philly can come in and just start. You got those corners. The safeties are playing okay. They've made some really, I would say, judicious additions at linebacker, Kazir White was a guy we talked about wanting the Chargers to keep. He ends up moving to Philly. He's playing very well. Edwards is there. Like they this is a complete team on both sides. Not
1: just Edwards and not just White, by the way, because when that game, I don't know if you noticed this, when that game was out of hand I didn't in the know fourth this. quarter, they brought in Nicobe Dean. N'Kobe Dean played for one quarter and led them in tackles. Their, their second-string linebacker could probably start on half the league, and he's just on the bench chilling because they don't need him. But like that's how deep this team is. He played for 15 minutes and led them in tackles. It's absurd. This yeah. roster is absurd.
0: Top to bottom, it is one of the best jobs. And if Howie doesn't win GM of the year, look, I know John Schneider had a great draft, and I know the Seahawks are exceeding everybody's expectations. If you look, if you legitimately look at like the roster that Philly put together and the roster that the Seahawks put together, and you go, oh, Seattle's better, go get your eyes checked. Like (laughs) it's not. They are Philly is ridiculous. It looks like an all-star team. And typically when these teams get assembled, people go, oh, all-star team on paper, and they're not gonna. Uh-uh. <laughs> this is an all-star team on the field, and that is a scary proposition, not only for the NFC, but also for anybody coming out of the AFC. And I do mean anybody. KC, Buffalo, you name it. They, they, They don't want to play Philly right now. Philly has answers for everything they do on both sides of the ball. Now, could they lose? Of course they could. Is it likely they would, based on the
1: matchup, or even not be favored? Probably not probably not (laughs) yeah this is the best Eagles roster top to bottom since 2017 um the one difference though is that Jalen Hurts and this is saying a lot because Carson Wentz was an MVP candidate in 2017 Jalen Hurts is outperforming what Wentz was doing in 2017 he is he is a difference maker even behind a really good team he is a difference maker so yeah best Eagles team in a half decade their best shot at a Super Bowl since then and uh we'll see how far they go Today's show is sponsored by Raycon, it's the holiday season now and you're probably trying to find great gifts for everyone in your family whether stocking stuffers or otherwise, and if you're still looking for ideas, Raycon has a whole bunch of premium audio products to choose from. There's wireless earbuds, there's headphones and speakers that all have customizable fits and great sound quality, and maybe most importantly of all, tremendous battery life at up to 54 hours. That's over 2 straight days of charge. They're also typically half the price of other premium brands too, and I've been using mine for literally over three years at this point, and they're still going strong. So if you want to check out any Raycon products either for yourself or as a gift for someone else, Raycon has a countdown to Christmas event where every single day they have a new pop-up flash deal for you to take advantage of at the link in the description below. Or if you want to find them at a brick-and-mortar store instead, they're also in Kohl's and Walmart, which might be more convenient, especially for last-minute gifts. Either way, buyraycon.com bootleg is the website where you're going to get the best pure deal with an additional 15% off with code HOLIDAY, so check that out first. Again, that's buyraycon.com bootleg, code HOLIDAY for 15% off. Thank you again to Raycon, and with that, let's get back to the show. Uh, with that, EJ, let's get to two down. down number 1 EJ we we mentioned it earlier that we were going to come back to it and now we are here we need to talk about patriots play calling because it's rough uh i have my own thoughts on it but i'm going to let you lead this one
0: yeah this is something we saw on thursday and as it was unfolding we were asking questions on the live stream about hey uh what's what's the identity here what are you leaning on what can you get done against a pretty good defense when you need it to happen. And over and over again, the Patriots offense proved when they need things to happen, they cannot create in those situations. And that right there, folks, is a death knell in the modern NFL. If you cannot hang your hat and say, hey, it's third and four, it's third and five, we're going to go to AJ Brown on that speed out or we're gonna hand it off to Derrick Henry and he's gonna plow ahead like if you don't have that guy that play the that personnel that identity you're really nowhere and the Patriots are wallowing around in nowhere so Ramondre cranked out 5.4 5.4 yards carry easy for me to say but they only let him do it 10 times that's it and you saw very famously uh you know the quarterback Mac Jones saying to Matt Patricia, "You know, throw it. of the ball is boring. You know, th- these are the cracks that we talked about last week that show up on a sideline when a team is just getting a thumb put on its head and can't do anything. And the receiving core still not good enough. It's it's not really even close. You compare them to most receiving cores in the league, and they are wildly undermanned. Um, you throw it." 41 times and only five or play action again when you've been in the first half of the season running the ball very well but again they fell off that cliff we talked about that last week as well they really are sort of betwixt and between they don't have a place to go early in the season it was the running game that's gone off the passing game didn't come in they didn't you know pivot to the tight ends as sometimes new england's been able to do in the past they just they're nowhere on offense and it shows Everybody knows nobody is afraid of really anything they can do on offense in terms of explosive plays which are huge in the NFL and this is not a one off season problem it doesn't feel like it it doesn't feel like they are one guy away would a big alpha wide receiver really help sure it always helps in the NFL would it be enough No, because in the NFL, you can double that guy. You can put brackets on him, top and bottom. And if the rest of your roster looks like it does now, nobody's afraid of that. You can cover him with second and third stringers. So the Patriots have some work to do, a bunch of work to do, feels like the right way to say that. And it's not close. And that probably is the tougher pill to swallow for most New England fans who are used to seeing a dominant offense and a very good defense carry them to division titles and championship games
1: and super bowls this is not that team and it's not that close you mentioned the you know the in terms of like true play action i'm not even talking about rpos true play action threw it 41 times only five of those were play action some people were like "Well, okay well they weren't really running the ball so play action wouldn't work not necessarily true studies have shown that regardless of how much you run the ball or how effective you are at running the ball play action still works because the defense they have to respect the run like they can't just not fit the run unless they're up by two possessions and there's two minutes left and there's literally no point linebackers are gonna take a step up there there will be windows to throw to you just have to actually commit to it and do it and i feel like You know, there's been debate on, okay, was Max saying that quick game sucks or was he saying that running game sucks? Either way, I think his point was he wanted to throw the ball down the field. All this, like, hey, we're going to try to throw it into space and make them rally and tackle. Well, what is Buffalo really good at? Rallying and tackling. That's what they've been good at for a long time. He wanted to throw the ball down the field, specifically off-play action. They weren't really doing that. Beyond that, one of my main issues – with Matt Patricia is, okay, not a whole lot of play action. They were calling a few RPOs. They had six total RPOs um, that they ran with, with uh, with Ramondre. So even though he had 10 carries, most of them were off RPOs. So he didn't even really get a whole lot of designed runs. They were just like, oh, if the look is there, we'll we'll run it with him. All of those RPOs were not with the actual runs that they're good with. Five out of the six were counter- and then they had one draw RPO with, like, a bubble screen tag on the outside. But, like, all of their other RPOs were counter, run behind Hunter Henry, who can't block. Like, they're, they're acting like they still have Gronk out there at 265, mm-hmm. 270 pounds that can handle Gregory Rousseau and wash him down for the two pullers to come behind on counter and open up the lane. No. You don't have that anymore. Hunter Henry was getting his ass kicked the entire night. And then you wonder why, you know, Ramondre every time they called an RPO, he was getting nothing. And then every time they called an actual run, he was getting something. Well, they weren't relying on Hunter Henry for inside zone. They weren't relying on Hunter Henry for outside zone. They were letting Ramondre like kind of, you know, pick his way through. But on counter, like if it's not there front side, it's just not going to be there. And if you're banking on Hunter Henry to kick out Greg Rousseau front side, guess what? It's not going to be there. So Why they stuck with that over and over and over again. Surely it will work this time. No, it fucking won't, Matt. Call something else. Call literally anything else. You can even call an RPO. Just call a different one. Call Inside Zone. Call Duo. Call Power. Call something that isn't counter behind Hunter Henry. And they refused to learn that lesson. And then they kept getting backed up. Now it's second and nine, second and eight. You're putting, uh, you know, Mac Jones in positions where he has to survive against that pass rush. He's trying to, like, hang in there and hang in there and hang in there and hope that, like, Jacoby Myers comes open on a dig or something like that. It wasn't working. And that's, to be honest, that's the fault of the coaches. Like, even the one—sorry uh, uh, to go on a rant here. They called a bootleg, right? Like, the one bootleg they well, called we can't all game.
0: Be, we can't be mad about that, right? I mean,
1: we can with how they designed it. <laughs> Like you, look at, you look at the film for that bootleg and then they, they literally created a rub with their own guys because you have the, the number one who's on the line of scrimmage and then you have the number two who's like kind of like arc releasing around him and they tripped each other up because again, Rousseau knifing inside way away from the guy who's supposed to pin him on the boot. And it's like, dude, based on that alignment, how are you not coaching your guys to exchange that, have the number two take Rousseau, and then have the number one, which I think was Taekwon, if I recall correctly, have him run the deep seven. It's like, are they not coached to exchange that based on alignment? Now you have guys tripping each other up. And by the way, Rousseau's still not getting blocked, so Mac has to run for his life and throw it under pressure. Like, what the fuck are we doing? Who's designing this? Who's coaching this? It's like you can tell a defensive coach is running the offense because like any offensive coach in the NFL worth their salt would literally tell his guys, hey, if the edge is lined up inside, exchange that shit. Now you're running the route and you're blocking and they didn't do it. So I don't know. It's it's just bad, EJ. It's bad football.
0: I hate it. It is bad football. And yes, we do hate bad football, Uh, even bad bootlegs. Uh, you know, the namesake should be run correctly, and it wasn't, and I'm just going to play my sad card on the Patriots, not because I'm sad about the Patriots not being good, really about Hunter Henry, who is now a Patriot, didn't start out that way, I feel like he's one of those guys, a little bit like Julio, some other guys that was just so good early in his career, and then injuries just really robbed him of what he was he is a shell of that and it's a bummer because we love to see players with that much ability I don't even want to say potential because he showed that much ability early in his career and it hasn't been there in a while now and it's just kind of feels like the band that keeps touring well past their prime and Mm -hmm. you're like okay just uh, you know you're you're good for a third and five out but you were good for so much more than that earlier in your career. And it's not his fault. Like injuries are a part of everyday life in the NFL. We talk about him every week, but he's one of those guys that really is not the player he was early in his career. I think largely because of injuries and it's a bummer because he used to be able to do all that stuff. And so, you know, bad on the coaches for not adapting and saying this is who he is now and trying to, again, just sort of hammer their head against that wall. But that seems like the Patriots offense overall Let's take a concept we're pretty sure that's going to work, just commit to it, and then not adapt when it doesn't work.
1: We hoped for the best in the summer. No, we didn't semi expected the worst, but hopefully. Yeah,
0: no, we didn't. We talked at (laughs) great length about how worried we were and who was coaching this offense and would they put it together. It was a serious point of concern with us in our divisional previews. We We were crossing
1: our fingers and we were like, maybe,
0: maybe there's something we don't know. Nope, didn't work. (laughs) There's Patriots magic sometimes. It it's the 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 magic bag is empty here for the Patriots on offense this year. They are gonna have to go back to the drawing board both on the personnel side and really the scheme and play calling side and have a, what I would call a complete refit. It'll almost be, it should be like Mac Jones is running a new offense next
1: year. Mm -hmm. God willing. God willing, DJ. Uh, All right. Two down. Number two, let's talk about the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Beyond the whole Deshaun Watson returning part of the story, which we have talked about at length multiple times in terms of everything that happened with the lawsuits and the accusations and everything like that if you want our thoughts on that you can go back to the summer and listen to our very long discussion on that today we're just going to focus on what happened on the field which was uh not great to be honest like cleveland's offense didn't look good he was very clearly beyond rusty um i would say that this was the most uh, painfully out of sorts the Browns offense has looked all year. Um, dare I say, they look like they missed Jacoby Brissett a little bit. Now, will Watson get better as the season goes on? I don't know. Like He hasn't played in 700 days. Who knows if he's going to get better? But in terms of just this one game sample size against a vulnerable, to be diplomatic, Texans defense, I get very hostile environment in Houston. Totally understand that. He didn't play well. There was a horrific interception he threw in the red zone. Um, there was a whole bunch of really bad incompletions. Like, he wasn't accurate. He wasn't a good decision maker. Short of Nick Chubb doing Nick Chubb things, the offense was non-existent. And they scored 21 points on defensive special teams. Like, that was the only reason they won this game. It wasn't because of the offense. Like, the whole 27 points, total lie. Box score is lying to you. This was not the offense being productive. This was the defense and special teams playing the game of their life to pull off this win. Uh, And, uh, yeah, Cleveland's in trouble, man. If this doesn't get better, I'm looking at a quarter-billion-dollar investment for, like, 150 yards passing and a pick, and that's not not good for them. We'll see how it plays
0: out. Right now, rust was definitely expected. This was not— a one-year layoff due to injury. This was, not, this was a very long time without playing against live action in the NFL, which is the top level of the sport and moves very, very quickly. It takes a while to get back to game shape, game speed. I understand all that. So the Browns QB, 12 for 21, 131 yards, no TDs in that <laughs> aforementioned horrible pick. Seven rushes for 21 yards, also pretty telling part of his game is the ability to move out of the pocket he just ran for his life in this one he looked looked around said I don't like it and took off and got about three yards a clip this was not a weapon running this was not designed to take advantage of a defense's shortcomings or liabilities this was oh shit it's not working gotta go (laughs) and there was a lot of that and that's all to be expected Does all that pretend for the future? No. Is it difficult for Jacoby Brissett, who did all the right things and said all the right things, to sit on the bench and go... Eh, could have done better and be completely right. It is. It's one of those rugged transitions. They have to make it because of the financial commitment that they made. There is no way to say, well, right now, Jacoby's playing better, so we're just going to keep playing him. That is not a viable, tenable option in Cleveland. It's impossible. And if it continues this way, and that is a big if. I am imagining it will improve. Their quarterback used to play at a higher level. We'll see if he can get back there after all of this. If it works out this way, this offseason will go down as one of the wildest in league history where two top-level quarterbacks were traded for massive franchise-leveraging deals and did Bubkiss. both of them. Mm -hmm. And that is... uh, It's not even a 30-for-30. It's like a (laughs) 60-for-60 in its own right. Like They each get their own 30-for-30 because... Not necessarily expected, but could really turn the fortunes of, strangely enough, two teams that primarily wear orange.
1: And I will say, uh, even even with yesterday's result, uh, I still look at the Texans over the next three years and look at the Browns over the next three years. And if I had to choose which situation, I, I would expect to maybe long term have better results. Based on yesterday's game, I'd probably say the Texans, because they didn't look good, but they also aren't, you know, without a whole bunch of picks and committed to, like, a $50 million-a-year contract. Like, I would say the Texans are in a better spot going forward, because if that's what the Browns, you know, have to expect from their investment, if that's what they're getting, it ain't worth it. It straight-up ain't worth it. So, like, we'll see what happens in the future. Again, he hasn't played in, like, two years, so for for reasons (laughs) – Many reasons, justifiable reasons, reasons. totally justifiable reasons. Uh, so we'll see like how, how it is going forward, but at least for now, good Lord. That just, it was, it, it was hard to watch. It was straight up hard to watch. Uh, all right, let's get to something that's uh, at least watchable. And that is one fun for this week.
0: One fun for the week, Seahawks they will not go away. This is a really interesting and fun team. And I said this in our divisional preview that no matter what happened, whether they won or lost, this team would be more fun to watch because Seattle for all its strengths and wins and everything over the last decade had become really formulaic. They would get behind, their defense would not play well. Russ would have to play some hero ball and pull them out either in the last half of games or the last half of the season. And that was the story and it was old and it was tired, and it wasn't very much fun to watch. We just talked about the Cleveland you know, game being no fun in the last segment. The Seahawks for the last two to three years weren't really fun to watch. This Seahawks team was going to be wildly different, had a different defense. They were obviously going to be different on offense because of Russ moving on, but regardless, I said this team's going to be fun to watch. A lot of young players, great draft. There's development stories. I didn't really expect them to win a lot, and they won't stop doing it they win (laughs) clutch football games Gino is completely clutch we just talked about how good that 49ers team is in this same division they're one game behind Seahawks seven and five 49ers eight and four Mm -hmm. this is a lot closer than people who are not paying attention to this or wrote the Seahawks off and are not Seahawks fans and have not paid attention for the rest of the season which is a lot of NFL fans I get that if you haven't looked behind the curtain folks take a peek Geno Smith is playing like a top eight QB right now, and that is not hyperbole. That's backed up by numbers. As of November 12th, uh, EPA per dropback, he's eighth in the league. Um, Offensive EPA per play, so that's not just his dropbacks, but all play, he's 11th in the league. Passer rating, which I agree is a flawed measure, he's third or was third on the 12th. His current QBR after this last weekend, which is ESPN's, Somewhat complex measurement for quarterback measurement is 64.8. That puts him fifth in the league. So eighth, eleventh, third, and fifth. Like this is a guy that that also matches up with the eye test. What he's done late in games. He said in the very first game of the year, we saw him in Russ's revenge game, Seattle, and you know he said they wrote me off and I ain't right back. And everybody kind of laughed at that. And went ha, good line, Gino. He's continued to play like that. <laughs> he he and, was serious. He was dead and serious. <laughs> better, he was dead serious. He believed. But somebody posted the question on Twitter, and I think it's a really interesting one. Have we seen a late career quarterback resurgence from a high pick that equals this one? And that Ooh. really set me back. That put me back on my heels and made me put my thinking cap on and and thinking back. And I thought, well, like Alex Smith was terrible for his first like four or five years. And he got really good at the end. But I don't even think late career Alex Smith is as good as Geno is playing right now. Honestly, if you want to see great quarterback play, and I mean great decision making, mobility in the pocket, accuracy is unmatched he is putting the ball right on the numbers over and over and over again just go back to the last game you don't even have to go back to the last five although there are many examples in those just the last game there are probably six or seven plays it's like that's teach tape in in multiple ways the read the pocket movement the throw the accuracy the timing really really good and as I went back through the rolls I think the closest I can get is Rich Gannon going to the Raiders.
1: Well, that's a good one. My, in that's, my head, I was thinking like, hey, maybe Michael Vick when he came back to the league and he had a couple really good years in Philly, Like, but it, the list is small. The list it, is really small. It just
0: doesn't happen that often, especially from a high pick. And this is special stuff. And I put out a tweet that says, if you think Seattle's taking a quarterback high in this next draft— you're probably not right. They have their guy for right now. And people got, oh, but what about, what about, and don't you think they'd be better off if? And I'm like, folks, <laughs> the whole reason you get and use draft picks is to get a guy who plays like Gino is playing right now. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the goal. And everybody's like, regression. And I'm like quarterback like just picking a quarterback high does not guarantee you any chance of success and say say you mortgage your draft say you take all those picks you got and you go get insert quarterback x here we'll just say cj stroud you go get cj stroud and cj stroud plays exactly like gino's playing right now are you happy with that yes yes stroud you're thrilled with that you're like we hit cj stroud is for real you had real before you just have to sign him to a contract like he is with the team he is understanding it he is getting it this is not a fluke he is playing really 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 good football it's a great story and you would be gambling all those assets to hope to get what you have right now so really great story it's a ton of fun
1: at least to me The whole regression argument is fascinating to me because I'm like, okay, regress to what? What are you afraid of him being? Young Geno with the Jets before he got his jaw broken where he was on a a Rex Ryan team with John as general manager that was a complete mess of a roster at that point. Like the whole 2008-2009 Sanchez era of, of the Jets where they actually did have a pretty strong roster. Most of those guys were gone. The Jets had a horrifically bad roster when Geno came in, and he was asked to go save it. Um, You know, with Rex Ryan as his head coach, a non-offensive head coach, which most of the best head coaches in the league are offensive guys because of the relationship they have with the most important player, the quarterback. There are some very successful defensive coaches, but they better have an amazing offensive coordinator in tow with them. Some do, some don't. But so, you know, you're asking a young quarterback you know who had come from probably one of the purest forms of the spread in all of college football to come into that Jets team under Rex and and Idzik and 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 save a bad roster. So it's like you're afraid of him progressing to that. Why? The Seattle roster is orders of magnitude better. They actually have a legit receiving duo. They have like a legit offensive tackle duo. They have a legit OC. They have a great. Again, defensive head coach, but they have a legit OC to go with that defensive head coach. They have a really deep running back room when they're healthy. I know, caveat. <laughs> you know, they have some very talented young tight ends. Like they've got everything that he didn't have in New York. So what are you afraid of him regressing to? These are not the same situations. And I agree. Like yeah, if CJ Stroud was playing like Geno is, not even just as a rookie in year three, if CJ Stroud was a top ten quarterback, you would give him a hundred million dollars. You'd give him $200 million, actually, with today's rates. So, yeah, this is the best deal in football. They got a a shitload of picks and rebuilt their offensive line and have more picks this year. High picks, mind you. And they're not paying $50 million a year for a quarterback that's playing like a $50 million a year quarterback. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And they saved the franchise with one decision, which was trade Russ, go with Geno. It literally saved the Seahawks, ruined the Broncos, saved the Seahawks. So yeah, I, like I, if it were not Howie for GM of the year, it would be Schneider because of that one move. It was it was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. By the way, I was at this game and I, I was in the first row, um, on the end zone, watching it live. Uh, side note: that's non Gino, uh, Tariq Woolen. Woof. <laughs> Oh, baby. Like, I, I know that we, sometimes we, we pat ourselves on the back a little bit too much uh, with our 10 gems when they hit EJ. <laughs> oh my God. That might be an all time bootleg 10 gem because like seeing him and it was actually really hilarious watching him like 20 feet in front of me uh, lined up and press on Tutu Atwell was hilarious. Like the difference, like one of them looked like an NFL player. One of them looked like a high school player that had come in from a camp. It was so freaking funny. And he was beating people up in the line of scrimmage. He was making PBUs in space, using that range, using that length. He's insane. And I mean, a you know, fifth-round rookie playing like this, were it not for Sauce Gardner existing, he would be the easy pick. I'm talking easiest of easy picks for defensive rookie of the year. And they got him in the fifth round. It's It's Richard Sherman all over again. The fact that he lasted to the fifth
0: does surprise me. I don't mind us patting ourselves on our back for when they hit because, look, draft evaluation is a tricky business, and you are going to miss more than you hit. That is what NFL GMs do Guilty. <laughs> All the That's everybody. Like yeah. John Robinson, we just talked about him. Like, And that's with a hundred times, a thousand times more resources than we have. It's a tough business. And when you pull a guy out of the pile, and we did that, I pulled that guy out of the pile for that episode and said no it's not just height weight speed because I learned my lesson with height weight speed corners uh Stanley Jean Baptiste
1: SJB oh he got everybody though everybody right. loved I, him <laughs> I
0: didn't love him but I I I, I did moved, I'm no nah, I moved my needle farther than I should have because I was like he just has so many tools so I came in with that sort of caveat that sort of caution with Tariq and okay yeah he's insanely fast he's really tall he made Feldman's freak list cool 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 I want to see how he plays because again converted wide receiver how does he play and what I saw on tape of a year and a half worth of corner play was physical guy first thing I want to see from a converted wide receiver playing corner physical guy not afraid to press not afraid to tackle not afraid to dive in there put his body in there had a better understanding of the corner position than he should have for that level of experience. Although he still got burned, you could tell that he was thinking about the right things. And I thought, that's it. You combined a dog mentality with an unlimited physical skill set, size, reach, jumping ability, speed... And the fact that he understands what the guy on the other side of the ball is doing and is already kind of anticipating some of those things, and hopefully with NFL coaching, those are the kind of things that get better. Hey, this is what you're going to see. This is how you play it. He could progress quickly, and there's more here than just height, weight, speed, which is why I was excited about him because the height, weight, speed is salivation stuff. The other is, man, he's pretty good for only having played a year and a half worth of corner. And what we're seeing on top of that is just a master course by Sean Desai saying, I've got a perfect, you know, lump of clay here. And I'm going to mold it into one of the best defensive weapons in the NFL very quickly. I think he was in our ball of clay
1: episode, too, wasn't he?
0: He might. He he may have been. He should have been. um, But really he's the poster child
1: for ball of clay. Yeah, he really is. Uh, Yeah, when we saw him week one and there was a fade and he played against Cortland Sutton and like damn near pushed him out of bounds. That was the play I was like, "Uh oh, (laughs) (laughs) they might have something here. (laughs) We said this after week one. If you go back to the bootleg pod after that, um,
0: we said he frustrated Cortland Sutton, like even as a first game rookie first game on the big stage in the bright lights playing against a very good wide receiver who is quite frankly his physical equal big powerful guy with speed he got Cortland sutton pissed off Mm -hmm. and if you can do that in your first game on an nfl field you're doing okay
1: yeah i love him uh all right speaking of the rams by the way uh and taking big shots it's time for bootleg shot of the week You know what, EJ, I kind of expected this, but our bootleg shot of the week winner for this week is Sean McVay for taking a shot from his own player. Um, I'm trying to remember which which tight end it was, uh, 49, uh, Roger Carter coming off the bench for special teams, and he's slipping his helmet on, he can't see what's going on, McVay doesn't see him, turns his head, bam, straight to the jaw you know McVay oh. shook it off to his credit walking around shook it off but uh you know if he had to get a little bit of dental work done after this year I wouldn't blame him because that was a heater right to the face so McVay I'm pouring the shot for you I was uh, in honor I was going to take shot a shot
0: at Chunky Sue in honor of his uh, sponsorship
1: Oh god please don't!
0: (laughs) i didn't have any and uh, mcveigh seems a little bit like a tequila guy so uh, i have malagro silver today in honor of the coach uh yeah standing up for what his players uh catch on the field this was not a soft one folks this was the real deal he got whacked
1: uh i've got i'm trying to polish off this bottle of rittenhouse bottle and bond so it's a little hot it's hunter proof but you know definitely not the hottest i've done but uh coach mcveigh to you, cheers! Oh, that's not a shooting whiskey. Oh, that's definitely not it. That's a cocktail whiskey, EJ. <coughs> Bingo, Woo! got him. Uh, this, yeah, on the okay. other
0: hand, over ice is a lovely. Both sipping tequila and as a shot goes down very, very smooth. Almost no heat on the back end. So you took all the heat. I got the cool stuff
1: today. I feel like I'm breathing lava right now. Good lord. Mm-hmm. It's only a hundred. I didn't expect that.
0: Yeah, you told me that it was uh that it was coming in hot, so I am not surprised. But we've Yikes. got a lot of great nominees this week. Najee starts it off, Najee Harris, with a ugly, violent stiff arm that <laughs> needs to be seen. This was a statement stiff arm. We've had multiples of these. These are the kind that make bootleg shot of the week, and Najee's holding up the tradition here for the running backs. It was forceful dribbled him like a basketball (laughs) he did bounce him off the turf it's true as all good stiff arms do and speaking of forceful quincy williams had a damn day for the jets defense i originally wrote this in as the cousin sack and then i got to the hit on tj hawkinson and this is form tackle brilliance lines him up good five six yard run at it lowers the head, puts shoulder right in the midsection, and knocks him backwards good two, three yards. Hawkinson's not a small guy. Quincy Williams could have had any of three hits today nominated. And the whole Jets defense was hitting in that game. I put out a tweet during that contest that they were bringing the physical heat. Jordan Brooksack, this is the one you saw up close, so I'm going to let you take this one.
1: Oh, it was 20, 30 feet right in front of me. And, like, when it happened, it sounded like a car wreck. I, I wish I was recording it from my phone, which that's how close I was. I could get a freaking full image on my phone. Um, and when Brooks came through, and you could see, like, Wolford stayed down for a second, like, ow, that really, really hurt. And I don't blame him because Brooks was coming through full speed and just took it to him. Um, massive, hellacious hit. Legal hit. I want to emphasize legal hit. But, ooh. It was a rough one, definitely one that would have kept me on the ground uh, a lot longer than a professional athlete. He popped up eventually, but for a few seconds I was like, you, you okay, bud? You all right? You going to shake all, that one off?
0: All the pieces still in the same place?
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: Javon Holland back on the list hitting CMC, who we talked about as a centerpiece of the San Francisco offense. Well, Javon Holland centered him up and smashed him. He is no stranger to this segment. And the last one is his teammate, Christian Wilkins, with a forced fumble on Juwan Jennings uh, right before halftime. Not very often you see a full-fledged defensive tackle hitting a wide receiver. Uh, This case, from behind, it looked like a truck just ran over a moped. And Juwan (laughs) Jennings is a huge wide receiver by all standards. He was a tight end convert previously in his career. Christian Wilkins is no joke. Full run, 15 yards to catch up to this play on the sideline, and just blasted him. So,
1: uh, look like a lion chasing down a gazelle if the lion was like 350. You know, like it, oh my god, it was that. That was honestly, I think, the most painful hit of the week in terms of most impressive, like on the field play. I would say Holland is the most impressive because that was a third and three, like mm-hmm. that was a huge play to go from hash. You know, And then closing on CMC in the flat, and I get it the throw was late because it was under pressure and everything like that, but just to have the range and the burst to get to Christian McCaffrey and stop him short of the sticks on third and three. like That, that play is a 99%er. It works 99% of the time. The 1% is when you play against Javon Holland. Uh, and then Christian Wilkins, that was the most painful. So, you know, different flavors. We got Najee is the grown man, stiff arm. Quincy Williams is the teach tape. Jordan Brooks is the car crash. Javon Holland is the crazy play. And then Christian Wilkins is the one where I'm like, "Eh, you might have to go to the hospital, but, uh, really, really strong lineup this week might be the strongest we've had all year.
0: It was one of those weeks where some weeks it's really hard to get good, clean shots where nobody got hurt, nobody got flagged. Uh, There just aren't that many or we miss them. Some, Some weeks there just aren't that many because we put the call out to all of you and you've even started to send those unprompted. Thank you very much for that, by the way. It makes our jobs easier and lets us see more fun football. This week, everywhere you looked, like... I could have had Jordan Whitehead for two off that Jets defense. Quincy Williams had three. I got into the Browns game, and I was like, hmm, there's a couple of good whacks there. You texted me about the Jordan Brooks one you saw in person. Javon Holland was from a listener, viewer. Christian Wilkins was on my reviewing of, again, the Miami tape. Najee Stiffarm was everywhere. Like, everywhere you went, there were multiple hits in multiple games where you're like, that could, that could be one, that could be one.
1: Yeah, and that's not even counting the Monday game. The Monday game had some pretty hellacious shots, too. So, yeah, good week of football. Loved it. We had five games where both teams were above 500. So this this is kind of when the, the cream of the crop is all meeting. By design, the NFL does it this way on purpose. They want all the, the best matchups, at least some of the best matchups, to be kind of saved for December. You know, Chiefs and, and Bengals and Bengals and Bills. And they want all these contenders to – to have to go through each other late because that makes ratings better. And uh, this week was the payoff of that. We had a lot of really good matchups. Some other really good matchups coming up this week. EJ, take us through our watch list for week 14. Got to start with Jets-Bills. This Only two
0: games separate the two teams. That doesn't seem like it's a statement you would have made before the season, but it's the reality now. Win would be huge for the underdog Jets in terms of evening up that division or getting close. Eagles Giants Eagles are great, but the Giants play everybody tough and I don't care who they are. Brian Dable has these guys believing and they are not an easy out against anybody, even a team as powerful as the Eagles Bucks Niners Brady gets to come home. This is a homecoming game to the place that he wanted to be the quarterback. He wanted to be the next Joe Montana. It didn't work out. Feels like a little bit of a trap game for San Francisco. We just spent, you know, 20, 30 minutes pumping them up and saying how bad the Bucks are. Feels like Brady could reach back and grab one here and make this tough for him. And then fascinated by Panthers and Seahawks. Seahawks, an ascending team that have it in the right place. Panthers, a team that turned it around mid-year, uh, fired their coach, have been doing great things under Wilkes. And it's just an interesting sort of going to be tougher than you think it is because, again, the Panthers roster is loaded with players, but they haven't all quite figured it out. Seahawks are clicking right now. Going to be probably a better game than a lot of people would think just looking at the lineup.
1: If the Bucks win this game, it will be purely because of old man spite from Tom Brady. That is the only 100%. way they 100%. And I'm not ruling it out. I'm not ruling it out. It's unlikely, but I'm not ruling it out just because when that man turns it on <laughs> and he directs his hatred god it's hard to beat it i mean god look at the saints game they were down like 16 to 3 with four minutes left and they still won that game tom brady laser eyes that's Dude. what it is he's insane he's insane like i get it mark ingram kind of lost the game for him but still <laughs> stuff just happens with tom brady's on the field uh all right plugs for this week ej what you got for bears over beers
0: Bears over Bears, we pivoted a little bit, but there were a lot of really good performances versus the Packers from young players. Not exactly sure who I'm going to focus on, but really at this point we are looking towards the future uh, and seeing which young players are going to play a role. Uh, moving forward, we've already talked about players like Jack Sanborn, and maybe we need to go back to that. But Justin, Justin's doing the Justin thing, and I think that's all understood at this point. It's really about who are the who are some of the hidden gems here who are going to be maybe depth players, maybe role players, but are going to create the foundation after that huge free agency burst that's coming next year.
1: Uh, for film room on my end, I'm working on one. <laughs> this, this was not the original topic i thought i was going to be doing for the next episode but i got a lot of comments on uh, a mike white that i the, a mike white short that i did on like a third and eight throw to elijah moore and it was against it was against cover five which is the the most common coaching term for cover two man um it's from the sabanese nick sabanese if you're familiar with his language And I would say like Sabanese is the most common coaching language, him and Aranda and, um, you know, depending on the part of the country you're in, because so many people go to different clinics and they learn that two man is cover five. That's just, that's what they call it. And uh, a lot of the comments were like, what the fuck is cover five? And so I'm doing an episode on cover five, essentially cover two man, uh, why it's called like that, um, you know, how it's used in certain defenses, situations where it's used, what beats it and we're just kind of doing a whole deep dive on that specific coverage because when i say the words cover five people sometimes that aren't familiar with saving coaching language want to know what that is so we're going to do a deep dive on that so not maroon five but cover five cover five cover five it's a maroon five cover band i (laughs) (laughs) i think i'd rather
0: watch your video than a maroon five video but that's
1: just me Uh, All right, we're going to get out of here. Made decent time this week, not going to lie. Got through a lot in a very short amount of time. We want to thank all of our executive producers for helping to make this show possible. Murat, Consti, Caden, Andrew, Taylor, Liam, Connor, Joey, Mike. We've got a lot more than we used to, and I'm really psyched about that because that helps keep the show going. All of you guys are legends. We fucking love you. Thank you for being executive producers for the show. If you are also interested in being a producer, you can go to our Patreon and check that out, even if you don't want to be at that level. Really anything on the Patreon is good with us because it helps us do this for a living, and we really, really appreciate that. So uh, if you're watching this deep into the show, thank you. We love you. We'll see you on Thursday for the live stream. Uh, Raiders, Rams, here we go. EJ, let's get it let's get it thanks to
0: everybody who supports the show in any way watching listening telling friends showing up on thursday super chats patreon there's a million ways to do it we wouldn't be here without you it's that support that keeps us going and we'll see you next week take care later on